All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to QLS. This is Sugar Steve from Team Supreme. Last week, we gave you part one of our interview with Slum Village members T3 and Young RJ. In that interview, they talked about their early days of Slum Village and somebody that I got to know during the Soulquarians era, the late, great Jay Dilla. It's always great to hear from people who worked with him firsthand and got to know him from a young age. Please make sure you check out that episode if you haven't. Now we have part two as Questlove Supreme celebrates 50 years of hip-hop all August. We hope you enjoy it. I remember one of the earliest arguments I had with, we were just talking about, we were going through song for song, and, you know, I was explaining that the frustrating thing about making things fall apart was the fact that Malik and just his very weird, Malik's almost like Batman. Like, Malik shows up to the studio at, like, 3 a.m., like, when the engineer's just cleaning up and ready to go home. And he would always just come in at like odd hours, 1.30 a.m., 2.30 a.m., and look on the floor, go to the corner, and he would read the reels off. Like, okay, what do they work on today? And the assistant engineer don't know, so he's just like, well, here's Amir's beats he was making. Here's da-da-da-da-da. And Malik would just be like, hey, put one of them things up. Now, the thing is, is that, you know, I'm also using this album period. Like, you know, there's other projects I'm working on, but I'm also using this album period to develop my sound or try to figure out what my sound is as a producer. And so I'm practicing stuff that Dill is teaching me. Like, he taught me shit on the 1200. I didn't know he taught me stuff on my MP. So, and I'm sure that you know about this, RJ. Like, you go through this period as a beat maker where... You need to practice first and emulate. Like, first I did the Bomb Squad. Then, all right, I'm going to practice this Marley Mall track. And then I'm going to practice this Premiere track or whatever. Like, you got to practice before. And the thing was, Malik would always, he would do complete songs to shit that I never intended for the public to hear. And I told, it was hitting me that I was hell-bent. I was like, yo, there's no way that I'm going to let my slum influence out on this Roots record. And it would only happen when like Malik would just unknowingly take some shit that I had no intention for y'all to hear. A good example is like uh, the Table Content song that that intros the album or the Don't See Us, We See You. Like shit I never intended for the public to hear. So for you though, like again, is, is it, is that weird like to know that you're that that influential, like you're a pioneer before you're an artist yourself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm definitely thankful, but man, I don't know, man. I have to thank Dilla, of course, and I would have to thank all of my mentors, man, like Ann Filler, RJ Rice. I mean, we had a lot of people that was that was really just looking out 
for no reason at all. You know what I'm saying? Which was right. especially for me, I didn't even grow up with a father. So you telling me this random dude named Aunt Philly gonna let you come in his house, you know, make some, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, rap and do all of this just because he wanna make sure we ain't in the streets doing no foolishness. You know what I'm saying? So right. it was like we had we had the community. The whole slum village, as, as you will, <laughs> that, that was helping us. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I, RJ, I wanted to ask you, man, specifically, um, with your dad being, you know, who he was in the game and, you know, just having that base with RJ's latest arrival, what were some of the things he taught you? Uh, you talked about musically, but, like, mm -hmm. business-wise, what were there any principles or just kind of things that game he gave you that kind of helped you in your journey? Yeah, he just told me never take a man's dignity you don't want to uh, put a man in a position of where he got a bed or and never wait to pay a man. You know what I'm saying? Because he got a family that he's taking care of as well. You know what I'm saying? And he waiting on that money to come just like you waiting on the money to come. So, you right. know what I'm saying? It's a lot of Jews that he that he taught me with, with how to do business and, you know, cultivating relationships and things like that. You know, some things you may have to do for free. You know what I'm saying? In order to grow the, the business. So, you know, it, it's a lot. You know, I thank them all the time. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't have had a better father mentor. And I enjoy working with them, too. Look, is your mom, she still sing? She still sing. They just put a new song out. They okay. just dropped a new song. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's beautiful. I found an audio recording. It's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. It's an audio recording. And... I'm assuming that you're holding a video camera. You guys are oh. in a car together. And this is the only, I only know the audio part of it. And Dill is driving and you ask him a question. You say, hey man, what's the day? Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know about this. Okay. Yeah. It's, it just oh, yeah, it jars yeah. me every time I hear it. You're, you're like, hey, what's the day, man? And Dill's like, oh, I don't know, Thursday? He said, nah, man, what's the day? And Dill is like, Oh, okay. It's February 10th. He's like, yeah, and what's the day? He's like, yeah, man, February 10th is the first day that we're making our new album, Fantastic Volume 2, baby. Da, da, da. And y'all just talk about it. Yeah, and man, I'm just like, it really, I was like, wow. Just, you know, because for a lot of us, February 10th being the day of his transitioning is such a, you know, such a thing for those that, you know, follow his music so closely. But to hear that clip and the excitement of you guys, like, talking about your future and all those things, like, would that often happen? We had to, you got to understand this. First of all, Slum Village had to wait for Dilla to blow because Dilla is, you know what I'm saying? So I was still kind of hungry and broke me in 10 and Dilla right. was he, making money already. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we had to wait on that. So we was, had to be patient. So for the day for us all to come together and say, this is the official day uh, for us to work on this. Shout out to Wendy Goldstein, who was who was lacing a lot of us at that time. <laughs> yes, sir. I know. <laughs> Wendy Goldstein was, <laughs> yeah. that was my saving grace, too. Yes, that's what I'm saying. She, she laced us all and, you know, we, we got that opportunity to really just go in there and do it. And guess what? We had no guidance. You know, you know what I'm saying? They just let us do what we want to do, and which is beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And shout out to RJ now for, for solidifying that deal. 
I wish, I wish. Now I think about it. We had a couple of deals on the table. I I wanted to go with Dev Jam in my heart because we did have a a possible situation with Dev Jam, but we decided to go with who we went with. Really? Which was our, yes. So there was a Def Jam deal on the table and Interscope and any other labels or? Uh, it, was, it was about five, I think, Universal. Okay. Yeah, um, we had some deals, but we just chose what we chose. And I think we went with AM first, which was yeah. terrible. Did you guys at all work with um, John McLean? John McLean is the one who got, who was like part of getting the deal at AM. John McLean is one of those figures that, you know, even I'm working on the slide doc right now, and he's a part of Sly's 80s, you know, uh, attempted several attempts to come back or whatnot. But he's one of those brothers that's so elusive in terms of like talking to the press or whatever. What 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 were your interactions like with John McLean? I didn't have many. I was mostly your dad and management talking to him. I, I was really brief. Okay. The Indian I had. So. That was mostly RJ and Tim, Tim Maynard. Um, mostly spoke to him most of the time. Okay. I was out of business. I was such a, a studio nerd. I was, that's what I was at. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, care to meet executives and all those things anyway. Like, that was like, my manager did that. But, you know, right, occasionally right. I would have to have conversations about, like, the concept of the group or, you know, those sort of things that you don't want to have with label executives and whatnot. How did that deal fall apart? Because I thought I saw a tangible version of what I thought was a fantastic volume two on Interscope. Later found out it was a bootleg or whatever, but. I'm going to tell you how it fell, fell apart. This is how, no disrespect, but what happened was corrupt. He decides <laughs> to do a double album. Oh, no. Corruption <laughs> joint. The yeah. West versus the East. Yeah, yeah I know. That album shut down the whole rap department because the Holy lack budget. of Yes. Uh, and guess who was coming right next after that? It was Slum Village. Then the bootleg on top of that, it was like, well, the only thing we could do, I guess we're going to go start touring in Europe. So we was able to tour in Europe in 99. That was super early for us to go down there, do our first European tour which was an ordeal too, because Dilla act like he uh, lost his passport for a while because he didn't want to go because he had to finish some remixes. It was like, man, this was just going through it. Oh, I can't find my passport. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I was about to say how, so this is also the period in which, like, he's going to leave the group or whatever. So explain how just the adjustment, readjusting the group without him on stage with you. Well, he, he... he didn't. He said he would do select shows. He was gonna do the uh, West Coast. He was gonna do Detroit, and maybe something else. Right. That was all he was. Even when we was doing the OK Player Unit, right. you know what I'm saying. So well, we, we got him for two shows at least. Right, right, right. You got him for two shows, right? So that's all he was gonna do because he wanted to catch up with all his work right. at that time. You know what I'm saying? Because he was hot, and people wanted those those remixes like ASAP. So, you know, he was doing all that. Then he was producing on different albums. So he, he just wasn't there. Now, the whole thing when he decided to leave, you know what I'm saying? We had a brand new deal on the table. Right. You know what I'm saying? With That was the whole Capitol deal. So it was like, where are you going? We got a whole situation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But 
he decides to go and do does the MCA deal, you know what I'm saying, and, with Frank and Dank and, and get his own label situation popping over there. So, I mean, he sat and told me, man, you, T, you're going to have to take over the group, man. I did not want to because I enjoy being the middleman. By the way, you know, less pressure. Right. I can just go I want to and be gone. You know what I'm saying? I'm out. You know, so it was it was hard to restructure. So one of the main pieces I had is is all the people at the studio, and one of the main people was was Young Jay. So me and him was already bonding over beats and doing stuff, and then by ten, you know, was barely showing up. Kind of mm-hmm. like what you're dealing with with Malik B. You don't even know what he gonna record to the exactly. most random stuff <laughs> that that we wasn't even working on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, okay. He had this machine in the back, and he would just make songs all day in these machines from the randomest beats. I don't know, you know, someone was YG, someone was this, someone was that. You, you just didn't know. And we tried to piece this album together, and it was it was a difficult process. You know what I'm saying? But we, we got right. through it. You know, luckily, that's how we got uh, close with Kareem, and Kareem contributed, and yeah. Young Jenny and Black Milk, you know, coming up, up and all this at one time. And, you know, I had to mix it up. I had to make some magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you, man, I had to, uh, I had a blessing to, uh, before he passed, uh, to talk with Batin. Um, I interviewed him. This has been, this has been years ago. And, um, he talked very openly about like his like mental illness and just kind of the things he was struggling with. How do you manage that? I mean, navigating a group is hard enough as it is. How do you, manage that having someone in your group that has those kind of specific uh problems how did y'all navigate that as a crew well number one when you're young like me and we was you think okay he's just eclectic you know what i'm saying just, <laughs> right, <man>. right. <laughs> you don't think it's something clinical once i figured out that it was a real situation it, we was at the climax we did the climax video and his sister had a had a a, a a spell or whatever that we had to shut down, you know, the video and and it was. Is it Tina? Tina Marie? Is that yeah? yeah. Tina? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on the record, she had a spell, man. We had to shut down. This. It was a bit much. I've never seen anything like that. It scared the daylights out of me. You know what I'm saying? Wait, when you, you guys saw... were shooting the climax video in L.A. Yeah, when L.A. I came? Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! I didn't even know. Okay. Yeah, you was right there, but you wasn't. You didn't see all of that. But yeah, you <laughs> well, because y'all just keep me in the car listening to beats. <laughs> yeah, that was the diversion. I'm here, sit here, listening for two hours. I was like, oh, I'm in heaven. Great. Y'all ready yet? No, oh, more beats. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she had a whole spell, and then she, and then I knew it was uh, bipolar schizophrenia, and uh, and we figured out it ran in the family. Mm, you wow. know. About ten, even, and so I didn't really know. Like I said, I just thought he was eclectic. Then it just got worse and worse, and to the point where it was, it was, it was a bit much. So we had to have a whole handler, kind of like ODB. You had to have a handler with with ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, this, this is your job, cutie. Like, I remember one time this guy. We about to go on stage. I'm talking about ten minutes before we go on stage. He decides to go grocery shopping, like word. I'm very familiar with actions like these. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you very, yeah, yeah. And this is after, this is, you talk about, this is after Fantastic Volume 2 is out. This this so. Trinity time. Oh, Trinity, this is, yeah. y'all on Capitol already. Yeah, we on Capitol. 
yes, yes. It just got worse and worse, man. But you know, did he did he have a reaction at all to? Um, I always wanted to know if, because people often ask us, like you know, what was Malik B's response to water when he heard it? But Elzai's verse in, in reunion, did he ever respond to that, or you know? Yes, he they they talked they talked on the side of the building. He uh, Elzai even talked to him before they, he put out the verse. Okay, so we. So, and at this time, Batin was kind of not doing so well, and he kind of showed up at the show on the side of the door, like like what else said, right? And you know what I'm saying? And it was it was it was a tough situation. That's that's the reason why I brought Tan back in the group afterwards because I just wanted him to try to get himself together. You know what I'm saying? Take his medication because. Um, I learned in the music biz, there is a lot of people who struggling and just deal with it every day. It's real. Like a lot of us are carrying a lot of uh, what, what they call epigenetics, um, kind of passed down through generations. Your great great grandfather had something, and now your grandfather has, and your father has, and, and so on and so forth. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. I always wanted to know, you know, it's also with with the Trinity record where you guys really did have like your moment in the sun, especially like with Detroit Deli and with Trinity. I mean, you have something that even the Roots can't claim, which is like you got fully embraced by like the 106 in Park audience. And there's a moment where it's almost that Slum Village I mean, whether you look at it as an eclipse or a shadow of of Dilla versus oh Dilla's group, where you guys on your own are about to, you know, find an audience, find a home, find a, a groove and a movement. What did it feel like, like with the with the success of of Tainted and and also working with like Kanye on um, Selfish, Selfish, yeah? Can you talk about that period? Number one, it was the. It was a hurt feeling for me, man, for, for uh, you know, not having Dilla a part of it. To get a touchdown, but... Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. A... not, not officially part. I mean, we made sure he produced records on it. We was going to do that. But, like, when we did the video shoot for Selfish, 
You know what I'm saying? And and uh, you know, it was a glorious day. It was 300 women there. It was ridiculous. <laughs> you know, you got Kanye, you got John Legend. And then I was like, man, I heard Dilla was here. I didn't even get a chance to talk to Dilla. It was so many people, so much going on. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just felt that detached that I never wanted to feel with him. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like perfect strangers. Was, yeah, you know, but you know, I'm happy I'm I made it in a good space, but at that time I wanted it to be what it was, but but it couldn't be. You know what I'm saying? So I was always like that, man. Every time I had success with Slum Village, I would always be like caught in, into some weird uh, or some situation where a it was conflict. Like, I can't even yeah. enjoy this. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I'm just not getting to a space now with Slum Village, with me and Jay, where I can, I enjoy what I do. You know what I'm saying? And kind of do that. But it took a while because it was just so many, so much conflict. It was always something new every day. You know what I'm see, saying? See, but the thing was this, though, three, because when you were shooting, like I called Dilla to come to the uh, Selfish video shoot. So when he oh. get there, we watching him shoot. And he like, yo, man, y'all good. Y'all don't need me no more. And I'm like, bro, what is you talking about? Shit, what we doing? You you the foundation. We always going to need you. He's like, nah, nah, y'all don't need me no more, man. You know, and I'm like, he had just got out the hospital. I'm like, this weird. You know what I'm saying? But you rolling with it. So it was like things along the way, you know what I'm saying, that he was saying to kind of like, I don't want to say like prepare everybody for what I think he felt was coming. So, but that was like the last time that I saw him in person where, you know, everybody was there and able to kick it and have fun. Yeah. Man, I wanted to ask y'all, what was the, the, how did it come about with bringing Elza in the group? Well, well, let me tell you this. <laughs> that was a necessity. Okay, so here's the situation. I'm managing Elzai. That was, that was my artist at the time. So I'm managing oh, him. Oh, I did not know this. Okay. Yes, yeah, I'm managing That's my artist. And, you know, I'm about to put him out next. I'm about to get get him going. Cool. So at that time, then, then I, Dilla tell me he leaving. So I'm like, okay. And, and then we got a big deal with Capital all at the same time. So they're expecting us to... Um, to pull off an album, you know, and they gave us a two album deal. So I was like, well, I can't turn down this money. I can't turn down this situation. I can't, I can't, I can't. So then on top of that, by 10 wasn't showing up for the studio. <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't make the, I'm, I'm telling R, I'm telling RJ Rice. I'm like, man, I can't make an album by myself, man. And call it Slum Village. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I cannot. So I was like, man, I'm going to have to bring L in, man. I'm going to have to bring L in. And he's just going to have to fill in. I'm going to have you do so many songs, L. You just can come in. It's going to be your, you can do it, go in the group and you can bounce off this and you can come in. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, man, cool. I'm with it. You know what I'm saying? It was, it, you know, uh, he still wanted to have his rough and rugged persona. He sold some of the girl records I had to convince him on a little bit mm -hmm. that he didn't want to do. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, he didn't want to do Tainted. <laughs> no, I heard it. Uh, yeah, he didn't want to do that because he was trying to still be, you know, that lyrical, spiritual guy, and and, and nothing wrong with that. But but we had to make some records because we had to get, you know, right. we got a footing at Slum Village, as you right. say. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm sitting there and, and, you know, we pulling it together. I'm finding these new producers, Black Milk, uh, Green Bins, um, you know, VR Gunner coming through, the whole squad, you know, I'm I'm producing. We we just pulling it together, man. You know what I'm saying? And Dilla say go give us some beats. But then when that happened, he goes and remix all the beats I chose. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was just a lot um, when we did that record. So you know what I'm saying? God bless we even pulled it off. There was a producer um, that y'all had uh, that was, I don't know if he was in the camp, but I would see his credits on stuff. Ron E, Ron Estill. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was that yeah. who was his? I know he did the the, uh, the Bahamadia joint that y'all was on. Yeah, what what's the deal with him? Is he still making records? Like who was he? Ron Estelle was uh, Dwelle's. You might as well say like signed to Dwelle. You know, Dwelle was signed to him. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So he was like a guy that produced back in the day, and um, had produced some records and stuff that Stella didn't want to do. You know what I'm saying? He'd be like, you know, I ain't doing it. And then he'd be like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. You know what I'm saying? So Dilla would like pass off the work. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, RJ, when BR Gunner, that was you and Black. Y'all were production team at that time. Correct. Yeah. Not not at Trinity time. Not at Trinity time, right. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, but um, yeah, y'all were production team at that time. How did y'all come to work together? And what was y'all collaboration process like as producers? For me, me and Black met through that kids group that I had, kids right. you not. Right. The guy that was closest to my age was in a group with Black Milk, and he played me some of their songs over the phone. One of the songs I, that I heard was the beat for What Is This? And I was mm -hmm. like, on Trinity. And, I, and mm -hmm. I was like, he should come up. And then he had another relationship through by 10. You know what I'm saying? So everybody had kind of like, was like, okay, he came up there, we started working through like mixing the, the records and stuff like that. By the time we was done with Trinity, me and him was like friends, you know what I'm saying? So we was like, shit, we doing all the work. We might as well just make a production team, you know what I'm saying? And get it cracking because we doing all the work. Yeah. And then that's kind of how BR Gunna started. And then it just kept going. Wait, I'm one second years old. I didn't realize that BR Gunner was a black milk and young RJ. RJ, yeah, BR, yeah. I actually thought BR. I was going to say, wait, how come no one's mentioning BR Gunner right now? Like, <laughs> I, I thought it was the actual person. I'm thinking, like, oh, maybe they got beef with him or something. But <laughs> no, I I'm probably the only person I know that actually spends late '80s in my set, uh -huh. like. Obviously, your parents are on it as well. Is there a longer version of the late '80s uh, sketch that that was on um, Trinity? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> that's on Detroit Deli. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it is. It's in a uh, in one of the machines that T was talking about because we recorded oh, that also, on like yeah. a digital machine. I forgot. There's two versions. The one on yes. Trinity. Yes, that's the one I'm speaking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on the machine. In, oh, the, yeah. in the back, yeah, yeah. Right. What with, with Cutie, right? With Cutie on that one, and uh, and your mother, right? Singing. And Dwelle, and Dwelle, yeah, 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 yeah. That's my that's my shit, man. And also, <laughs> the original version. All right, all right, so the the version of "Fall in Love" that is the hidden track on Trinity, the one based yeah. on the remix. 
What happened to uh, uh, with well, Samaya? Well, well, yeah, that happened. We we was gonna do this group called the S Band, which was Slum Village's band, right? And Samaya was a part of it, and uh, and we was working on some records. I was working on some records. Me and her worked on that record. Me, her, Vernon, and Jay worked on that, producing that record. Um, but um, what happened was, I think. It just got mixed up because I was kind of dating her, and that, and that kind of got mixed things up a little uh, bit. Sorry, no. I... <laughs> <laughs> I did that, and it just got messy, and my bad. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Samaya. Yeah, I see. I can dig it. <laughs> After um, the the self title album comes out, the 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 one in 2005. Call me's on that, right? The the Isley Brother joint. Yeah. That's my shit, man. I, Word. I Even post that, like, and again, I know that some people are just like only Dylan Fish or not, whatever. No, nah, like the entire Slum Village canon to me is like there's so much magic on all these records though. Like, how for you though, T3, with what's happening, and especially with the transitioning of Dilla and Batin, and with Elzai's uh, dismissal of the group and whatnot, like, how's this weighing on your mental? Do you feel at some points maybe the universal universe is telling you, like, well, maybe I should do something else, da 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 Like, what is it that's keeping you still in fighting shape and wanting to keep this, this thing alive until, you know, you say it's done? I don't, you know, I did go through a, turn where I was kind of going through my thing for a minute, kind of down and out. But I luckily I had a nice support group, man. Um shout out to uh to his dad, Big RJ. Uh-huh. And RJ, they helped me out a lot, man. You know what I'm saying? To the point, you know, where where I just went through it. You know, I lost everything for a minute. My girlfriend, everything. I just lost my house, the place I live. And they really just helped me, you know, help me get myself back together you know what i'm saying so it did weigh on me a lot you know what i'm saying and it broke me down for for a millisecond but you know what i'm saying um but you know we kept working man and you know luckily i had some brothers with me to help me out man and 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 that's and that's how i got through it man you know what i'm saying but it was it was tough for a second jay you remember them days we was trying to put that uh stuff together (laughs) sure i do i definitely do (laughs) yeah it's tough I was gonna ask you, uh, ask y'all, man. So, me and Black Milk, uh, we had a conversation. This was a, a while back, but we were just talking about how with Slum Village, we were talking about kind of the difference between y'all and and LB, and like how y'all because y'all had those two records on Capital, and y'all had those two big singles, and how that translated, I guess, across touring. How did how did that show up for y'all on y'all side? Like, were y'all able to see a difference when? It's like you do your set and then all of a sudden you do selfish and people are like, oh, that's the one we know. Or they do tainted and it's like, oh, that's the one. Or over time, was it people where they die hard? It's like, yo, we want volume two. We want, you know, volume one. Like, how how did that look for y'all? You know what I'm saying? As a group that had that major label experience. It looked just like you said. You had a divided group of folk. You had wow. these die hard. Volume two people. <laughs> There's also volume one people too. Right. And then you had these two big singles. 
and they didn't always mix together. Really? You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, but and that's how it was. So we and then they would put us in different venues and different situations to see where we fit. Like one tour we'd be with somebody extra hip hop, and then mm -hmm. we did a tour with NDRE, which was like <laughs> oh the, Lord. It was, it was not <laughs> the best way to go, by the way. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, so it was yeah, like I don't, I don't see I don't see climax going over good with an NDRE audience. That nah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know. It was like Marsha Ambrosia and and NDRE and Slum Village. Like, where do we come in in this? I don't even know <laughs> what to do really. You know what I'm saying? So it was uh -huh. a lot. Of people don't know what a place is because of what Selfish did or what Tainted did. Speaking of which, I got to talk about Cloud Nine, man. Yo, just how. The anger I had. So I had to do this tour once in which Marsha is doing about 30 dates with us. And it's one of them things where, like, she sends an MP3 to my phone, like, this is the song I want to do. And I'm listening. And I'm like, oh, shit. I got to play this every goddamn night. It, it's one of the most nightmarish loopings of gospel drumming either like way past the end of Jay-Z showing what you got. Like for anything that I've ever clowned <laughs> just blaze for about that, this is past any like rush, Stuart Copeland, like it's the craziest thing. Can you talk about that that like what made y'all want to do this this group and their knack for picking the most unorthodox shit ever to rhyme over? <laughs> it was one of those things where uh we was in Detroit working and um a guy that who was around at the time scrap dirty yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, was like yo here goes uh Marsha's out focus had sent it over because he had produced it shout out to focus man yes so we okay. like man this shit is crazy we need this and he was like I mean it already came out though and we was like, man, we don't care. And then <laughs> we reached out to Focus, and he was like, yeah, shit, y'all can go ahead and use it. And he sent it, you know what I'm saying? And everybody liced it. Yeah, yeah 10 came to it. Yeah, 10 We yeah. had a fun time with that. And we got a chance to perform in a couple, couple of times with Marsha Live. Yeah. But that's a funky record. That's a funky. Nah, like, I love that record. It's man. funky, but it's a drummer's nightmare. So. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, every I jam session, I'm like, get her back up drumming because I ain't doing those roles ever again in this lifetime, man. That I <laughs> wanted to ask y'all specifically about scheming, man. Um, y'all were able to get, you know, Daylight and yeah. uh, and Fife, you know what I'm saying, and just really kind of bring it, make it complete. How did y'all put that together, man? Scheming started out as a young RJ record. I was okay. making a solo record in the midst of doing slum. And then they ended up hearing the record and was like, this is crazy. So T was like, man, this is how I think we should do it. I think we should do it where, because T wrote the hook. And he was like, I think we should do it. Yeah. He was like, man, we should do it where Daylight saying something, and then maybe somebody else is saying the hook and somebody else is saying it. And then we just started reaching out because I had done the Forever record for Daylight. So I was able to uh, yeah, pick yeah. up the phone and call. You did forever? I, I did forever in Morning Rise. God 
damn. To this <laughs> day, we still close our show with forever, man. That is that's that's one of my favorite like top ten songs ever, man. I love that shit, man. Can, yeah. can you talk about like for you as a creator, as a beat creator, especially you know, the last of a Mohicans, you know. I mean, I, I put you up there, Milk up there, Riggins up there. You know, there's some cats in Detroit that that are doing their thing as well. But, like, in 2023, how how foreign is the, the lay of the land for you, at least, in terms of where hip-hop is today musically and where people are going? And, like, how do you adjust to it? Like, what's your process of creating records now? Like, I'm gonna keep it a hundred. It's not a lot of inspiration out there to be like, yeah, this is crazy. Let me go in the studio and work for the most part. Unless you digging, you know what I'm saying, and right. you just kind of know, like, okay, this dope artist just dropped something on the underground scene or something. But like, I was talking to Black at our show in Detroit, and I was like, bro, we all we got to inspire each other. Like, yes. you know, if you're not gonna make that shit or everybody ain't gonna, you know, go in there and we ain't gonna bounce ideas. What else do we have for inspiration? So it's just kind of like when I go in there, I'm just making what I want to hear. I'm I'm past the point of trying to please people musically. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if, if I'm gonna throw it up there, then it's just gonna be something that a piece of art and that's how I treat it. And either you get it or you don't. And that's just kind of where me and Tiet now, even we're working on these new records is like, we creating art that we want to do that we feel ain't there and y'all get it or y'all don't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I want to uh, ask y'all as well, man, with your, the new single that y'all got out and bro, like how did you hook up with the dramatics? Like where, what was that like? Oh, we got hooked up with the dramatics through, uh, that's pops because he okay. was, touring and all of that stuff and, and mixing and mingling and him and Ron Banks had a super close relationship. Okay. On top of that, at the time, T was dating her daughter. I mean, his daughter at the gotcha. time. So, you know, we just kind of, he would come up to the studio all the time telling stories, him and Pops would be talking shit. And then, you know, it just kind of got to the point where he was like, yo, you know, y'all should record something. So the first record we we did with the dramatics was uh, "Do Our Thing," mm-hmm. that was on prequel to a classic. Okay, and Kareem Riggins produced it, and then from that we did the "Br Gunner" record, and then after that we did some other songs, and we just set on vocals. So it's like songs that I got with the dramatics with L.J. Ron uh, and all the original members that we just hold on to vocals. Did they? Uh tell you of any of their experiences or stories and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably like oh, yeah. Four, three or four years ago, I didn't realize um, the the movie Detroit was about the dramatics, even at the time when we, we did a song on that record. So when um, we got sent over uh, a copy of the movie to see it, I didn't realize like that the dramatics went through hell. For sure. To become yeah. who they were. Um, but yeah. I'm always hearing, the, even in Snoop's first cover story for the source, there's a a brief shootout moment that happens, and the dramatics, have they're like coming back. The source story starts with them leaving the video shoot for Doggy Dog World. 
and mm-hmm. it just goes like they've been in the craziest situations whatsoever. Have have they ever showed, shared these stories with you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, you know, a lot of drug use, a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he would, he would just come up there and kick it and, you know, talk about the riots and, you know, what he experienced seeing and living through that and, you know, what it was like going from the big stage to doing smaller shows that was like uh, less people, but they would do multiple shows a night. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. he was just saying like the adjustment period of that and, you know, like how to keep a group together and members leaving and, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. Those is all the things that, you know what I'm saying, we would talk about and, you know, they would give advice on. Man, I wanted to uh, ask you about one of my favorite records of yours that, that you did. You did a record for Pooh. This was back when you and Pooh were working together. This is, I mean, God, 20, 2008, nine something. This is years ago. But uh, you did a record for him called What We Are. We ended up putting it on the left back record, but it was originally a solo jump for him. And um, I love that song, man. Um, like, you bodied that shit. Just talk about kind of like the production of that song. And um, one thing I always admired about you, you would always incorporate, you would incorporate live instruments, but it would sound like a sample. It would sound mm-hmm. like something that was vintage. How was how did you uh, achieve that in, in the studio? Was that something that you kind of had in mind or how did that it, come about? It's, it's, it started off, uh, you know, with the sample, you know what I'm saying? That was chopped up. And then um, I, I had a drum set set up, you know what I'm saying, at mm-hmm. this, at the house. And then I just got to a point where I was just would get on the kit and play and then have musicians come over and add bongos and all that stuff and turn it into a jam session, you know what I'm saying? Because at a certain point, music was like getting stiff. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I was like, you know, we just we was cranking our stuff, and then I wanted to make sure Pooh had some joints. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I was like super locked in and focused. You know what I'm saying. I'm, I, I felt like me and Pooh was both underdogs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying in terms of how people viewed us, and it was mm-hmm. like, yo, we gonna we gonna go in here and lock in and make the you know the dopest shit we can make, and you know bringing Craig Lane. You know what I'm saying? He was playing on, on keys on some of the records. You know what I'm saying? And that's what it's always been about, making, uh, filling up the speaker. A sample can only give you so much. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? What are the your weapons of choice when you're making this these songs? Like, are you still on the 3000? Have you upgraded to... Oh, no, nah, I'm, I'm on the MPCX now. Nah, um, but I still track everything I like analog. You know, okay. I, yeah. I don't just bounce the files. So I still get hit the patch bay and go through the uh, EQs and uh, mic pre's, line in, all that stuff, the boxes. It's just, to me, you can't get the sound that I'm used to without it. I don't know how to achieve it. So I still go old school. Now, don't change, bro. So you don't have a MacBook Pro? You don't, you don't just, like... I'll sequence everything in the computer. I mean, with the drum machine, you know what I'm saying? But when I go to track out, you know what I'm saying? I'm tracking out through all vintage uh, stuff. So is there a a new round of young producers that uh, are in Detroit that are sort of being mentored by you and Milk and and Rick is the way that you guys were mentored through Dilla? It's it's guys out here. You got got people who's... um, coming with with dope ideas 
it's it's attitude that's hindering them though. <clears throat> For some reason, they they not able to um jail <laughs> with anybody. You know what I'm saying? So it's right. like there's not a hip hop shop sort of epicenter that someone. In a way that Maurice threw that stuff for you guys, there's not someone carrying that tradition now? Nah, but that's what me and T was talking about. We was talking about um, trying to open something, you know what I'm saying, where we can have the community come. You got a spot, the spots like Paramuta here that do little dope DJ things, you know what I'm saying, like around electronic music fest, things like that. But it's not a a, a whole lot of like a hub anymore. That, that people can go to. And that's what we need to get back to, you know what I'm saying, in order to be able to raise up that next crop out the city. Okay. And I guess in terms of terrestrial radio's concern, like, does that have the same hold that it once held in Detroit? Like, is there any figure in radio that is just as expansive or wild or crazy as, you know, growing up in the early period was for you guys. You got T three on the on the radio now, so that's where you know what I'm saying you're getting that other variety of music. Okay. Yeah, I do a two hour show on Sundays, um, and they basically let me play what I want to play. I ain't going crazy though. I am not mojo crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> you gotta no man. I'm telling you, you gotta go mojo crazy, yo. Yeah. You yeah. got to. Okay. Okay. I, I'm serious. Like that's. I remember Quest saying, "Go crazy." So, right, right, right. Blame it on him. No, but I I feel like if that to me is that opens up so many creative portals. Because even the first night, the first night, you know, when when you go there, you're sort of like, okay, I want to see what these cats really about because it sounds crazy on record, but let me see what they're about. And I'll never forget the first night that. The three of you were in the basement together. Um, right before about ten leaves, he's like, "Yo," he he tells Dilla, he's like, "Yo, man," he's like, "I want you to make a joint to Herb Albert's Route One Hundred and One." And I was like, "Wait a minute, that's the song I always hear when, like, to me, that's the ultimate yacht rock dentist song. That I mean, right. when you're in the dentist office or you're shopping, right. and I was like." Wait, did he actually say he wants to rhyme to Route 101? Like, that's the most <laughs> craziest. Like, doesn't he mean Rise by Herb Alpert, not Route 101? He's like, no, he wants to. Like, the the world's happy song. It's like, you're going to flip that shit? He's like, hell yeah, I'm going to flip that shit. Like, to <laughs> me, it's, I feel like what makes Detroit special is that you guys are not quick to say the word no as fast yeah. as other people would. And I think that that's, that's kind of notable, you know, and you already see the evidence of that and how the ripple effects and how it affects people. So yeah, I know to you, it's just like, Hey, I do two hour show on Sunday and it might not matter, but you know, even if you reach one person that that spark happens to you, then I, you know, I feel like that's, that's a job well done. Nah, seriously, bro. I mean, me and T, we've talked, I mean, we've, all three of us, we've, like, talked, you know, at different points of time, but seriously, man, I just had to, you know, just say to y'all, bro, is we celebrate I-20th year in LB, and I tell people all the time, when we were making our first album, you know, the listening, like, I had, we listened to Fantastic Volume 2 
religiously. I played the fucking MP3 tags off that damn album. And like, <laughs> I would hold it up in the studio and we would, I would tell Ninth Pool, all the crew straight up, like, yo, if we ain't making nothing that can fuck with this, then we don't even need to waste our time. Right. Like, right. this is the bar. If we ain't bringing it like these niggas, right. back it up. Yeah. It's still, it's still my North Star to this day, man. 100%. Just, so, nah, man, love y'all brothers, man. And just thank you for everything. Love, man. Appreciate you. you. So, on behalf of uh, the team, Bontigolo, Laia, Unpaid Bill, Sugar Steve, myself, the great RJ Rice, and the one and only T3, Detroit's own Slum Village. Support your gods, man. They're, they're, they're still here with us and carrying on an awesome legacy. This Quest Love Supreme, and we will see you on the next go round, y'all. Thank you. Peace. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.